Hey guys, I want to start my podcast by telling you about a great way to start your day, Four Sigmatic Coffee. Four Sigmatic mixes 100% Arabica beans with functional chaga mushrooms to brew a delicious cup of coffee that provides all the benefits of a caffeine boost without making you feel jittery or crashing from a previous sugar high. Enhance your focus, mood, and immune system all in one go. By the way, the chaga adds incredible nutrition, but not any mushroom flavor. And Four Sigmatic sells more than just coffee. Also protein, cacao, you know, chocolate, elixirs, super powders, and blends, giving you a myriad of ways to add a bit of health to your routine. My personal favorite is the protein powder cacao flavor. I mix it with frozen strawberries and almond milk to make a chocolate smoothie breakfast that fills me up without weighing me down. And I'm dead serious. I tried several brands of both whey and plant-based protein powders and Four Sigmatic tastes the best by far. Try it. If you don't like it, no worries. Four Sigmatic will get your money back. And Four Sigmatic makes it easy to keep the goods in stock with a subscription service that over 100,000 people use today. Sign up for one at go.foursigmatic.com slash fwcars and get an additional 10% off your first order. That's a total of 30% off your first order and 20% off every recurring order if you head to go.foursigmatic.com slash fwcars. That's g-o.f-o-u-r-s-i-g-m-a-t-i-c dot c-o-m slash f-w-c-a-r-s. And yes, I will have a link in the description. Doing so supports the podcast and supports good health. Kind of nice that it tastes good too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 341 of the Fun With Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 3 of 2023. I'm Robin Warner. Today, I interview the Vice President of Honda Performance Development, or HPD, Kelvin Fu. We'll discuss why Acura's decided to downsize its prototype sports car engine and that engine's true roots as well. Spoiler alert, its roots are definitely in racing. All right. Let's dive right in. Kelvin Fu, Vice President of HPD, Honda Performance Development. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, anytime, Robin. You know, there are better circumstances for you and I to have a conversation, but not by much. Um, brand new chassis and engine, one-two finish in your inaugural race, which just happens to be the 24 Hours of Daytona not a bad start <laughs> yeah it's uh i think many people have asked like, do we expect it there's no way right <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of the cinderella story with pole and then the one two uh i think if you asked me three two weeks ago before the whole event started i, I was like we we just want to finish yeah right? <laughs> and then ideally finish on the lead lap and then hopefully we're competitive right but you know i i think it's it's you know, there's some luck and just a tons of hard work, right? That that got us where we are. Well, and we are going to get back to that race and talk about the season ahead just a little bit. But I actually want to take a couple of steps back. A lot of people have called this a clean sheet of paper engine, and I looked at the specs, and the first thing I saw was 
stroked out IndyCar engine. I mean, it's 2.4 liter instead of a 2.2 liter, but they're both twin turbocharged. They're both race engines. Um, Was this truly a clean sheet of paper engine or is this a modified IndyCar engine or is this maybe a hint at your next IndyCar engine? So it was, it's more closer to the the new IndyCar engine that, that we were going to introduce, right? So that was a 2.4 liter twin turbocharged V6. I'm not sure if you're following all the IndyCar news, but that's been delayed in a while we're focusing on the hybrid system. But, you know, to get back to the GTP, when the DPI program used a 3.5 liter production-based V6, right, twin turbocharged, in my technical innocence, I figured we'd just carry that over to the GTP program, right? But with the with the hybrid system and the production-based engine, it was just going to be too heavy for the chassis. Like, so we're mm. worried about performance. So there's a point where you can either redesign that, which is a clean sheet design, or you kind of have to take, in some ways, we had we had a lot of good base for the 2.4 because we've been working on it for IndyCar. And then you kind of take that and you kind of morph it toward like, okay, how do we, can it last 24 hours, right? Because this is designed for sprint races, for, for Grand Prix, you know, two and a half hour races or the Indy 500, which is four hours. Right. Very different and heat cycles, very different very durability different, cycles. Yeah. But yeah. Indy 500, it's watt the whole time, right? So it's designed for some type of um, of, a, of a sustained endurance at high performance. So, you know, that was an engineer reminded me. We made the decision two years ago to go with 2.4, and that was because a ton of guys had worked through Christmas when we we're trying to make that decision to simulate, model, to say yes, this is a basis for something that we could make into something that's applicable for for IMSA. So it, it may have started kind of on a, from a staying base, but they kind of grew different ways because of, you know, we, we, we're not running 12,000, we're running 95, 18, whatever, like 10,000 RPM, you know, turbos are different, performance is different, but you know, it's, it's a good basis for, for, for a start. Right. So maybe not a literal clean sheet of paper, but um, it, it only the very basic fundamentals yeah. is where there was any relation, and then it kind of splintered yeah, off. Yeah. yeah, so that is it is a clean sheet design of a of a of a racing engine. It's a pure race engine from a clean sheet, but then you kind of take that to in a, in a different direction for for IMSA. The the other so that so you just heard my first thought. My second thought when I read the displace and I said, "Oh no, Acura is going to be the new Mazda." I'm sure you. Well, remember Mazda's issues, uh, its teething issues with its two liter race engine. And I was like, boy, four tenths of a liter. Yeah. You don't have a lot of wiggle room. Yes, it was a V6 versus a four cylinder. That certainly changes, you know, individual pressure, specific energies, that kind of thing. But I, you know, we're, we're also talking about 24 hour endurance races or very brutal 12 hour endurance races in the upcoming C being 12 hours. So, how did you guys have the confidence that the smaller engine, which it would inevitably deal with higher stresses than Cadillac's five and a half liter? Yeah. How did you have the confidence that that would hold up? I think that is, you know, that talks is the, to the sophistication of our simulation modeling, right? I think we, we did the simulation, we did the FEA. Um, we've done a lot of tests on our dyno. Like we, can, we have the whole gearbox dyno where we can test the whole drivetrain and go through the simulated. 24-hour race. Um, we'll see about Sebring. That's that's to be determined, right? Um, you know, and I think we had enough technical confidence to go forward with it. You, you got to commit with the lead times they were they are these days. You can't 
you can't wait for a year before the event. It's like really it's two years ago we said this is the path we're going down. And you know, there in some ways there's no choice, right? We we knew we can go back to 3.5, right? And we we weren't gonna we don't have the capability or the resources. Like we didn't have the resources to do a brand new like another three liter V6 or a 3.5 liter V6. We you know in some ways you're committed to this path and you have to have confidence that you know it's it's got the bones to to really deal with the stresses and deal with the 24 hour pounding. Right. And, and so far so good. Yeah. 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 No, the, the three liter that we see in the type S Acuras was definitely the first thing that I mentally went to. And, you know, as soon as I heard, learned about the dual overhead game, three and a half liter, which is a derivative of that three liter that's now in the Honda pilot. I thought, well, maybe that, but then I guess that gets back to the, the weight issues that you were discussing. Um, the other part of it is, you know, you guys are marrying to a standardized battery pack and hybrid system done by Williams and McLaren. And there's a third partner. Bosch. Oh, Bosch. Thank you. What was it like marrying your internal combustion engine with this standardized hybrid system? How, how, how did that process even work? And, you know, credit to Bosch and, and Williams, like they... They're married their standard spec system to our little 2.4 semi-high revving V8 plus, you know, a, a, a natural aspirated monster V8, you know, Cadillac and then, two, five and, think, a half yeah, and then two turbocharged V8s from BMW and from, uh, from Porsche, right? So that's yeah. like that, that's got to handle like all the different vibration and frequency and characteristics of all these different engines. And, you know, don't, it was, there were challenges, right? Um, I think it was good all the oems kind of work together to, to fix everything but uh i think the biggest issue for us was was mainly supply right it's been mm -hmm. you know we we definitely had issues on the dyno we tested as early as possible um porsche going out there and running you know they found some issues and in the end it's just a ton of hard work by a lot of like engineers to try to keep fixing and fixing and fixing and fixing and fixing right and then i think we're on you know version two point something, something of version of the, of the, oh, the hybrid system of oh, the hybrid system. Right. So yeah, there's, yeah. you know, there, there was always, there's, there's development systems, there's prototype systems, and there's like race spec systems. And then you kind of tweak that race spec system as you find different issues with it. And it's kind of standard development. Like a year ago, do I think we're going to be here? No. <laughs> but then again, I didn't think our engine was going to be here either. Um, but you know, I, I, like I said, it's, it's, every project goes to those areas and when you're trying to make something right that's that's as hard as going to the race car there's always points where it gets technically tough and 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 credit to imsa and those guys they were they were kind of pushing the envelope on all this stuff the, these systems are going to last like for like a, a long like a lot of miles right and so you got to design them robust but you gotta you gotta design a light and you gotta handle like how do you actually merge them into these all these different systems so and, and I got to say, one of the one of the coolest things is the control of the engine and the hybrid and the um, and the uh, and the braking system, right? And how do you handle the braking and the generation and the state of charge of the battery? I think I think that whole control system is pretty open in the IMSA rules, so you can kind of you have a lot of freedom to like understand and manipulate and to optimize that kind of performance of the whole drivetrain and the brake system. So it, it's it's a lot of fun from an engineering standpoint of how all that thing gets integrated. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me curious because one thing that would be distinctly different because we have two turbocharged V8s from BMW and Porsche. We have the naturally aspirated V8 from Cadillac and your V6. 
you each had your own packaging challenges with the chassis and then also um, cooling challenges. I imagine that where you package your V6 in relation to the turbos, et cetera, et cetera, makes it very different too. Um, I keep going to Cadillac because they're the most different and also the most competitive with you so far. Uh, Cadillac's five and a half liter naturally aspirated V8. So were there any things that you had to work with with the hybrid system or was it more with the chassis to sort out packaging and cooling? It's mostly, I think, with the chassis, right? I think the the hybrid system, the batteries, the battery location is it, it's dictated to you, right? It kind of sits underneath the chassis in a in the safe location. The MGU is kind of like integrated in the in the bell housing, right? So it's it's kind of you know where it's going to be. Basically, what they gave us was like you, your engine can't go above this frequency range. It can't go above this torsional characteristics. Uh, so, okay. So, so there's there ways. Tolerance that, limits. There was, a, yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. There were spec limits that you can't get by. And we said, maybe this, can you stretch this or this isn't quite working? And uh, it kind of worked together as we had. There was a lot of discussion about characteristics of the engine and how do you actually integrate that with an MGU. But in, in some ways, the cooling is like, they just said, you have to cool it. And this is what it needs. Right. And then, so we came up with the radiators and intercoolers and all of those um, different options, right. That met the requirement of the uh, hybrid system. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah. And that, well, that was another reason to go with our little V6, right? It's easier to package things. Right. Us, right. Right. More room physically. Uh, More room physically. And yeah. we could package our, our turbos kind of like our turbos are, are super close to the plenum. So it's a short, it's a straight shot in. So you can optimize all uh, that. Okay. Yeah. You know, so you want to, you know, you want to like minimize turbo lag and, and the building of boost and all that stuff. Right. Well, yeah, because it's in, you know, I'm, I'm so used to road car turbos where the, the main issue with the turbo is trying to get heat to the catalytic converters as quickly as possible. What? What's that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, uh, so it's so funny to hear you talking to us like, oh yeah, like actual, like go fast bits. <laughs> right. Because so much of it is about, uh, emissions with turbos these days. Anyway, the chassis. This is an Orica chassis. Again, you guys were Orica in the DPI era. In that era, this or the Orica was really efficient at making big amounts of downforce on smooth tracks. If we're just going to be simplistic about it, European style tracks. Yeah. Whereas the rough and tumble wild west of the US, not so much. And uh, so the bumpier the track, the harder, the, the higher the ride height of the Orica and the less efficient it was in creating downforce. Has this ARX06, is it still suffering from that a little bit, but better? Or is it just a completely different package? It, it's a completely different package. When we got the ARX, uh, sorry, the uh, the Orco 7, right, that the DPI is based on, that the chassis setup was, it's, it is what it is, right? It, the spine had been already made and and we didn't have a ton of input on that, and which is fine, right? And you're right; it's a it's a arrow, it's a very arrow car. It's wicked on road courses. It's great on on aerodynamic tracks. But when it came to the bumpies, like like street courses and and Sebring, you know, we had to raise it, and it didn't perform as well sometimes. Um, and that's that's okay. Every courses for courses when it comes to these different uh, race cars, right? Everybody makes compromises. So. When we came to the this one, we got to work much more closely with Orca, right? It's it's a it's again back to clean sheet design, right? It's a brand new chassis. It's wider, it's longer, and so we were able to say, look, this is what we think is the right way to go for it. This is what we've seen. 
here's our ideas with it. Um, and Oracle was great with working with us, right? I mean, they were saying, okay, and then we had done a, a lot of simulation. Um, we have the car, we're driving the car in, in our in our driver and loop simulator. Like when we said, this is an idea, like they were completely open to having that discussion with us. And they had ideas of their own too. They had seen the exact same issue. So sure, we were sure. able to work closely together with them. So the concept is, is is brand new. Like, don't ask me to explain it. I, I don't understand. They give me the terms. I understand kind of objectively what they're trying to do, but it's a, it's a very different concept to, to what we had um, in the DPI car. And we'll see. I mean, debris coming up. <laughs> we'll, yeah, right. And, we'll, and, and, you know, we'll see Sebring, how it goes. Yeah. It, the, the ones that stand out, uh, Sebring, um, uh, Detroit, although Detroit's new as well, right. but Detroit will probably well, we're not running Detroit. still be bumpy. We're not running Detroit this year, right? Oh God, that's right. Right. Oh. So, so, so Long Beach will be the first big test. Right? Yeah, and Long then, Beach. Think, okay. Yeah, and then. Oh man, but I know. also, you know, talking with uh, Ricky Taylor, you know, making Mid Ohio from a from a chassis setup point of view was a pretty bumpy place. Yeah. You guys, so I guess what you're saying is, you guys, obviously, you were aware of it, but you guys did do some tangible things to address that, so that you think it's a more reasonable compromise for all the tracks that IMSA travels to. Right. Right. We, we definitely focused on that. Um, and you know, it's Orca sells this car, this spine will become part of an own T2 package. Right. So they have to take into account, not just what we need for the U S they have to take into account what, you know, the customers are going to need as they run WEC. Right. So it's, it's, it's a compromise between the two that it have to be arrow, you know, a good arrow platform, but also be compliant enough to be able to run on on bumpy tracks for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so fascinating. And I am so, so incredibly interested to see as we get to that time where GTP starts mixing in with uh, the WEC cars to see how that works, you know, because obviously 24 Hours of Le Mans is a unique beast on its own. But based on what we've seen so far at the 24 Hours of Daytona, we've been, we've got some fantastic race cars and racing ahead of us. Getting to the 24 hours of Daytona, just as you said, pole position, one, two finish. In qualifying, Cadillac was there, Porsche was there, but in the race, it pretty quickly became a Cadillac versus Acura race again. Did did that surprise you as much as it surprised me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. I think Porsche had pace. I think looking at some of the data, Porsche definitely has a fast car. And, you know, they showed it in qualifying too, right? They were, you know, they, they were uh, second, right? And, 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 and yeah. Qualifying. And just a few hundreds off. Cause I yeah. mean, Ricky Taylor was third and he was like a 10th off. Yeah. And, and he had, didn't have a chance to go back out there. Exactly. Right. The, yeah. On, on the last, last time around, but I think Porsche is fast. Um, you know, it's just racing. They had some bad luck. Right. Uh, you know, they had some issues with their hybrid system. That's nothing to do with them. And then I think uh, number six to Gearbox, you know, had an issue. Right. So they had to retire. And, you know, you look at that and you're like, well, that could be us. Right. Because those are all fairly common components. Right. All those issues could be could be our issues to be had at Subring. So we, we maybe have a very different conversation in a month and a half. Um, but I, I think, you know, we were reliable. The caddies, the caddies were reliable. Um, and then I think the Porsche had pace, but just kind of luck of the draw. They had just issues they couldn't, you know, that just took them out at that point. Straight line speed seemed to be a strength for you guys as well. 
And obviously, IMSA is working really hard to be very strict about um, balance of performance, BOP. But was that just a matter of different aero settings, or was that maybe efficiency of chassis that we saw? Or did you guys slip some nitrous in at the last moment? <laughs> you you guys really seem to have legs on Cadillac and at a few different spots going down the banking. Yeah, I we don't have enough data to really understand some of the differences too. So we're we're a maybe on the nitro add-on. Is yeah, we're, so we're maybe the the nitro's a maybe, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think Mike was a little bit more trimmed out from the tail per perspective. There's not that many aero tweaks to make on this car, and, and you're talking of, you're talking about um, uh, Michael Shank of Meyer Shank sorry. Racing, yeah, yeah. So uh, Mike versus uh, Wayne Taylor Racing. Right, right. So I think Mike Shank, the tail was a little bit more trimmed out. Um, the the arrow box that we all sit in is is really small. It's much smaller than what DPI was in. So we're all kind of tight. Our power is controlled, right? It's their measure of the power coming off the drive shaft. So it's kind of shocking that we they have the sanctioning body has that much control. But yeah, know, yeah. But it's you know, it, at BLP in some ways, it's a it's the necessary evil of modern day racing. It's we already spend like a lot of money on these cars. If it was open development, it's unsustainable. Right? Yeah. Then, yeah, then yeah, only yeah. then you're going to be back in the LMP one days where you know people just it's a spending war, and then you know, and and then the cars in some ways become ugly because then we start making it for aero reasons and not for styling reasons. It, there's a compromise that has to be done for this type of racing that I think IMSA has hit a pretty sweet spot, truth to tell you. But but back to like, I'm really not sure why we were had such good straight line speed. And, you know, it, it could just be how we're taking power down at the beginning of the straight, for all I know, compared to what they're doing. I don't know what their aero sensitivity was what during in the, in the banking. You know, like I said, you know, 20 years from now, we may all sit down with beers and figure out what the heck happened. Right? <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of those mysteries of racing. You're never, you're never going to know. Everybody's looking at data, but I think we're all scratching our heads going, we're not really sure. Right. Um, we we, we got to all we can do is keep optimizing the car and trying to keep improving it at this point. Are you nervous that you're going to get a BOP ding because of that? Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's. It's something that I'm sure IMSA is looking at, and I'm sure they're hearing it from a lot of the different manufacturers. But, you know, if it happens, it happens, and we'll just keep racing, right? Um, I, I, you know, IMSA's, you know, been their BOP process is actually pretty good. I mean, I think we're pretty comfortable with how they look at data, how they address it, and how they want to go forward with it. You know, we, we've been working with them for years on this. Right. Um, and uh, we've been winning, too. So I'm sure people are like, of course, you're happy with this. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just think they, they, they've come to a process where at least they look at the data objectively and then try to make the cars close enough so you can race. So the whole point is it's not to give every manufacturer win. It's that's not the point. The point is like we're in such a we're in a good enough box that drivers and teams and strategy. Make a difference. That's what's going to win you the race not because your car is wickedly faster than anybody else so that's yeah. what they're trying to get to in some ways we 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 agree we just want a chance like we don't have to win every race we just want a chance that if we execute and we're smart and the teams execute and the drivers are good we're going to be kind of at there and then then it's then let's go race at that point 
Yeah, yeah. And I think most people know that the um, the Acura logo is way more dyna- uh, aerodynamic than Cadillac's logo. Exactly. So that certainly it's, it's, helps. It's the arrow, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So you 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 had about as good as you could do at 24 Hours of Daytona. Does that shift the goals or uh, the minimum level of results? For the 2023 season at all? I mean, does does that change anything for you guys? Not, not really. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, the goals are always win drivers, win team, win 24, win Sebring, right? But, you know, it's just like IndyCar, win the 500 and win the drivers and win the manufacturers. You just, you just keep working. Um, it may change how we focus on some stuff internally, right? About like how we want to optimize performance because we've learned a lot, but... You know, the goal is to win every race. And then if you can't win every race, then just be competitive in every race. Yeah. So. I know that there's there's so much that are just unknown so far. But based on what you know so far, is there any race that makes you particularly nervous? Um, like Sebring is just brutal on equipment, full stop. So right. I imagine to a certain extent that one. But is there is there a race like, oh, if we can get through this race... I think we're, I, that's proof point that we're robust. I, I think Long Beach, I mean, it's, mm. it's an accurate race, but so it's important for us when it comes to like, that's kind of our home race and sponsored yeah. by Acura. But also like, we've not been good at Long Beach. Right? Yeah. Like the, the, the DPI, last year in particular was rough. Last year in particular was, was, was tough, right? We were, we were just, we're just not good at that track. Um, it's tight. It's winding. You get, you got to get the power down faster. And so I think for me, it's like, if we can be competitive there, right. I think then it's okay. Then I think the car can be competitive at almost every track going forward. Sebring is a matter of durability and robustness. And that just may be stuff. If we break stuff, we got to fix it. But I think in terms of the fundamentals of the car, I really want to see what Long Beach brings us. Yeah. Well, I will definitely be watching closely. It's fantastic to see four manufacturers uh, racing in the top class right now with very likely more to come uh, in the years coming, not to mention 24 hours of Le Mans in the future. So um, it's really, really exciting time. This might be the most manufacturer involvement outside of formula E. I mean, formula one, you could argue one way or the other, but the manufacturers are, genuinely at Impson. It's very exciting to watch. So Kelvin, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate learning some of those details and a bit of the story behind Acura's 2.4 liter V6. Thank you, Kelvin. Next episode is coming soon. Maybe we'll get Chris Roche to dust off his mic and have a chat. But in the meantime, yes, yes, yes. I've been very busy on YouTube. I was just at the Chicago Auto Show and recorded many, many videos there. A lot of them were real short, but it included a few interviews. And one of them was really an interesting conversation with the chief engineer of a brand new Toyota called the Grand Highlander. And so you can check that out and many more on my YouTube channel. But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com and tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. Thank you for listening. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. <laughs>